Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 345 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Stephanie is talking with Tom Linfesti from Law Practice Exchange about the steps to buying a law firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by Clio, Postali, Rankings.io, and Text Expander. We would be able to do our show without their support, so please stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. So, Stephanie, you recently did a class about what it takes to be a CEO or what it is being a CEO in a business, right? Yeah, it's one of the workshops we do each week in our lab community. We kind of focus on a different topic and explore that with our participants. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about what is a CEO and what does that mean for a law firm to have a CEO? Because I think while it may not be their full-time job, every business should have that person at the top that is accountable for all the things and making sure all the things happen, right? Right. And either you you have that outspoken, you've stated it, or it's there and you've done it by default. Right. Which is probably not the best tactic to take. Right. So what we did in this workshop that I thought I'd share with everyone was one, people were just struggling with what do they get off their plates and how much time should they be focusing wearing their CEO hat based on the size that their firm is. And and that's pretty common. And I think a message we talk about a lot because as people start working on their business, they realize all the opportunities that exist to do more for their business. And so if an an initial step of that is, okay, I have to get things off my plate, the day-to-day legal work, the low-level drafting, for example, so that they can focus their energy on other things. And that's often the first struggle that people kind of encounter in this process. Right. Because they don't feel like a lawyer. They didn't go to law school to run a law firm necessarily. You went to law school to file motions and briefs and research law, but that's not what serving your clients is all the time. Yeah. And what came out of our discussion that I thought was super interesting is some people confessed to feeling guilty Hmm. that they were like, hey, my day doesn't look the way it used to. And is this right? Right. You know, I'm no longer doing the day-to-day lawyer work. I mean, I'm training my team and building systems and processes and mentoring people. And that day looks and feels very different. And there was almost this guilt over the crowd about, wait, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and is this okay? Right. And we'll say, yes, it is. Yeah, of course it is. And it is okay. It feels different. And so I think it takes a little bit of that. You have to mentally make that switch to... Mm -hmm. yes, this is my job now. And so, you know, when you look at what is the role of a CEO, you know, primarily they own the vision of the company. Mm -hmm. They have to make sure that everyone on the team is running and adopting that vision and implementing, you know, they own team culture. Mm -hmm. They're ultimately accountable for the performance of the company at a high level, but then does the company have the team it needs, the resources it needs, like are all the things functioning? 
they have to own decisions. They're obviously in a decision-making role. Mm-hmm. And so those functions are necessary and important for every business that you have someone doing those things. But like you said, that looks very different than preparing interrogatories or prepping for a deposition. Absolutely. Well, and it also can look different than the president of the company, the person who owns operations, day-to-day operations. If you're the CEO of, of your law firm, you may have it set up to where you are just doing kind of vision work and making sure that you're bringing clients in and things like that, that really don't feel like what you went to law school for. They don't feel like the day-to-day lawyer. And you may not even really feel like you're, you personally are serving your clients. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that is part of that mental shift. I'm glad you brought up clients though, because I still think, and we talked about this in the workshop, that the CEO role still owns those most valuable client relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that you're not client facing at all. I mean, you get to decide ultimately, and all this might depend on how large your team is too. And it may change over time, obviously, as you continue to grow. So you still will be connecting with your best clients, but maybe you're, the work you're doing with them is that high level strategy work and not that more day-to-day work. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that you're no longer talking to clients and you just have this you're completely removed from that process. I think you still are very much involved in that process and you still can be doing legal work, but the hope is maybe you're not drafting first drafts of interrogatories and you're more driving the strategy for the case. And maybe you're able to connect with the client and figure out what is it the client wants? What do they need from you? So instead of doing the day-to-day operations and doing things like we did it yesterday when we were serving this client, You're talking to the client, you're communicating with them and figuring out how you're going to serve them tomorrow in a better way, in a more client-centered way. Yes. I love all that. So, you know, if you're listening now and this feels new to you, or maybe you're in the middle of the shift, I guess my message to you is that's okay. This is normal. And if you're feeling that guilt, if that's coming up and you're like, huh, this doesn't feel like lawyer work. The answer is maybe it doesn't feel like that, but it absolutely is the work of owning and running a law firm, a business, which is exactly what you're doing. So with that, now we'll have Zach's conversation with Cleo and then my conversation with Tom. Hey, y'all. It's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist, and I am joined today by Nefra McDonald, the Affinity Partnerships Manager at Clio, and we are talking ClioCon 2021. Nefra, thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me, Zach. So last GlioCon was online. This one's going to be as well, right? It is. And I think we made that decision based on the continuing state of things in the world. And I'm really glad that we did considering where things are right now. But one of the amazing things about doing it online is that it was our most accessible conference ever with Mm -hmm. 4,500 attendees from 46 countries. Wow. Well, I know I got to a lot of different things that I wouldn't have gotten to almost at the same time by attending it online. It was great. So what's this one going to be? What can we expect for 2021? So the 2021 conference is happening virtually October 26th to 29th. And the Clio Cloud Conference is still going to bring the same things that people love, the community, world-class speakers to a legal audience. So you won't see at any old bar association conference, right? Mm -hmm. You can help your firm level up your skills. And that means everyone at the firm, whether it's a lawyer, a paralegal, an office assistant, anyone. 
And we're not really going to be talking about those substantive topics like, you know, here's the latest case law in this area, but more human-centered concepts like being more client-centered, law firm innovation, cultural competence, mental health, and a lot more topics like that. And you get early access to new releases in Clio and, of course, our legal trends report that has historically dropped at the Clio Cloud Conference every year. Yeah. And these are things that you're not going to get at your normal CLE or your your local CLE. So I know last time I was there, we got a lot of great speakers. We had a lot of great entertainment. We had Questlove there. We did. Can we expect some stuff like that as well? You can expect all of the outstanding things you've come to expect from the Clio Cloud Conference. So our speakers this year were announced just a few weeks ago. We have Scott Stratton, who is the author of Unmarketing, and he's going to be talking about social marketing in a very (laughs) new way for lawyers. We have Ariana Huffington, who is the CEO and founder of Thrive Global, also uh, the founder of HuffPost. Mm -hmm. And she's going to be talking about mental health as the sort of like the fifth element in your success as a law firm. And mm-hmm. then we have Ian Manuel. He was incarcerated at age 13 mm. and was tried as an adult, spent the majority of his time in prison in solitary confinement. Oh, wow. So Brian Stevenson, who was a speaker a couple of years ago, CleoCon 2019, 2018, something like that. He was one of the people that was part of getting him out of jail through the Equal Justice Initiative. So his story is going to be amazing. We're going to have an awesome moderator for his Q&A. And the entertainment announcement is coming soon. And you are not going to want to miss this. <laughs> well, I know I didn't want to miss the last one. So with it being online, you know, this is a, a scenario where whole offices could show up to this. Yes, you might have to kind of shut down, but you don't have to shut down for as long as you would if we were going to, say, Vegas or something. You know, if we were doing this in person, you can send more people to these, more of your office to it. Exactly. And there's the opportunity also to earn continuing legal education credit Mm -hmm. in both the U.S. and Canada. So, I mean, you're knocking off two birds with one stone there. You're getting access to all of these amazing speakers, great topics, and earning CLE over four days in a way that's digestible. Oh, yeah. And I know when I look at my, my CLE transaction report for the year, when I've gone to a conference like that, I look at that and I'm just pleasantly surprised of, you know, knocking out 12 and a half hours or or whatever it is. So that's a lot of times worth the price of admission in and of itself. Speaking of the price of admission, though, Lawyers Podcast listeners can go to cleocloudconference.com, say that five times fast, and enter the coupon code Lawyerist, and they can get the price of admission reduced by $120 down to $79, right? That's correct. And this is our most accessible pricing ever at $199. And if that's still a difficulty for you, we also brought back the Clio Cloud Conference Access Grant Program where underserved parts of the community or people that are struggling financially have the opportunity to attend the full conference for free. It's a simple application process. So all of that information is on the Clio Cloud Conference website as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, and people that aren't going to attend it for free, they're certainly going to get their money's worth going to it. And again, cleocloudconference.com. Nefra, always a pleasure to have you guys from Clio on the show. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, Zach. Hello, everyone. Tom Lenfesti, attorney and CPA and the founder of the Law Practice Exchange. 
the law practice exchange aims to solve basically the succession or the continuation problem for law firms, for solo small law firms. What is the next step in your career, your profession? If you're looking at retirement, looking at exit, the law practice exchange is there to act as a broker or to help you develop your continuation plan for your law firm. Well, welcome back to the show, Tom. I'm excited to talk to you again today. We recorded um, an episode a couple months ago and really just opened up this idea that you can even buy and sell a law firm, which probably was a surprise to some people. Absolutely. Yep. There are some out there still that it comes as news or shock or surprise to. Yeah. So if you didn't catch that episode, I encourage you to go back and take a listen because we gave some great overviews of how the process works and how to start thinking about it. And today I thought maybe it's time that we dig in a little bit deeper and maybe we should just take it from the buyer side, right? So what do you even tell someone if they're thinking about who should be thinking about buying a law firm? Maybe that's where we start. Yeah, absolutely. So of course, being someone who helps you know find those continuation, those buyers, those successors, I would encourage every attorney out there to at least consider it as an option. Just like we talk to you know our potential sellers or retirees, like consider this as an option. Then it's the question of, is it an option that'll work for you or work for your law firm? And so I think, you know, Stephanie, a few years ago, especially like talking to attorneys who like the concept, that question did come up. Like, when is the right time? When is my firm ready? Of course, you at Lawyerist may have a lot of, you know, advice on that as well. But overall, what we typically see is, you know, if you're running your own law firm, whether it's a solo practice partnership, small, large, whatever size of ownership group or size of firm you have, the first question I really ask people is, is your house in order? How many issues or problems or fires are you trying to put out? Marketing um, growth is great, but a lot of times that can come you know, gradual. Acquisition growth can come fast and furious. And so you know, doubling your revenues through an acquisition may sound great, but how will your systems and leadership and management kind of handle it? If there's cracks in it, they will break type of thing, right? Yeah. So I guess just to kind of break it down, one type of purchaser, I think is what I'm hearing you say, is someone who currently has a firm of their own and they're looking to grow. I mean, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we see those you know, those law firms that, you know, again, are looking for growth through acquiring, purchasing another firm, right? Geographic, practice area diversity, or just adding clients and revenues to their existing, you know, platform. Do you also see people who maybe they're at an existing practice and they realize there's no opportunities for them there, or they're at a big firm and they're looking to start their own firm. And instead of starting something from scratch, they're exploring this idea of, well, maybe I should just go buy an existing practice to take over. Absolutely. So there's your, you know, really our two most common buyer categories. I think you painted them well. We have firms looking for just expanding, right? Growth. And then the other is those individual attorneys. And then maybe they're in-house, or maybe they're in a firm that they don't see the opportunity to kind of continue on. They want immediate equity. We've had attorneys that basically, you know, they just can't start from zero. They can't start from scratch based on where they are in life or otherwise. So coming in under the acquisition and kind of, you know, kind of apprenticeship model, they become a partner and the other attorney retires, allows them to start with a law firm that 
provides them income from day one instead of starting from scratch to build something, you know, if they're going to part that nice paycheck W-2 otherwise that the bigger firm may offer them right now. Got it. And you kind of hit, I think you answered my question because I was going to say, what would those factors be that somebody couldn't start from scratch? I was having a hard time, but I, I guess you kind of got there. If they need an immediate source of revenue, they don't have time to build it up over time, then is that what they're looking for? Are there other other options that they you should be thinking about if you know if you want to go acquire a firm instead of starting one? Yeah, I think you know a lot of it is one, something's been built, you may have to take it and run with it, or you may have to you know, change it over time, improve it over time, you know, from that standpoint. So I think you're right. I mean, we've dealt with a lot of second career attorneys too, that have gone back to law school later. And again, they maybe are a little bit more financially stable otherwise, but they, you know, it doesn't interest them to come out and be an associate at a large firm, right? They've got maybe business management, other experience, those type of things that they can kind of carry over. So, you know, where you are in life, if you're an individual attorney looking at it, you know, probably does carry a lot of, is it the right time for you to explore this? What you want to do? Or do you want to be that owner and buyer, which I know you guys, again, probably talk a lot with, you know, labsters and otherwise through lawyerists as part of your programs, but that's something that we look at as well. Okay. Makes sense. And so when you're talking to people who are in this place and they're thinking about buying a firm either to get started or to grow, where should they start? Like, what are some things they should be even looking for in those acquisition targets? Absolutely. You know, I think the things that are usually going to draw you in are going to be the practice areas, right, for the firm and the location. That's usually our two biggest metrics. You know, we have lots of buyers contact us and say, oh, I'm interested in this firm, you know, in Virginia, or I'm interested in this firm in California that does estate planning. And then once, you know, we have NDAs or whatnot, and they find out it's not in the, you know, the metro they need it to be or the town they need it to be, it just doesn't work. So I think practice area, right, having that be a checkbox, and then the other being, you know, geographic location for you are, of course, two elements, right, in your search. The other are a little bit more deeper dives as you start the discussions. I'll say culture. Culture is a big part. You're going to have a really hard time to change the culture of a firm. So if you get in and you find that, you know, the culture of just how this firm has been run is something that's not for you and, you know, the attorney, it's just not a match, right? And that's why we usually encourage, you know, our buyer and seller, our attorneys to talk early in the process because you'll get a good read for, you know, just is there a fit? One, can you work with this potential selling attorney? And then how have they kind of run things, right? There's always generational differences potentially, but I think there's certain amounts of like, you know, do they care for their employees, right? You know, is right. there high turnover is, you know, all these other things that, you know, if you see those and it's not a match, then just move on, right? Because it's not potentially a good fit if you're not up to that kind of challenge to really reshape culture over time. The others, what I would say is really, you know, financials, of course, having strong, consistent financials. And then as you and I've talked about before, I think on the previous episode, you know, I'm a big you know, believer in if there's, of course, firm processes, right? right? Even if those are checklists or otherwise. So as you get into it, having firms that are built on systems, I know everybody's like, oh, yes, I know I need to build systems. But even if they're people that do the right things and checklists that they have to do it, you know, there's some kind of systematic way to do that. 
and that there's built a firm, right, you know, around it, not just the extension of that attorney, you know, that there are some business, there's different setup and systems that really focus on that. Because the ultimate thing that you're going to look for is, can the value that's been built and that this current owner is enjoying, can that be transferred? And whether that's a transition plan or otherwise, you really have to check that off. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and what was really key to me in what you just said is the idea of a, a business versus an extension of a specific lawyer. And I know people struggle with that, right? We have lots of successful lawyers out there who have really great practices, but that doesn't mean that it could necessarily live beyond them unless they've put some things pretty intentionally in place. And I guess for people who maybe aren't thinking of buying, like for anybody, something that you should be, I think, looking at your business to see, like, is this just an extension of me or have I actually built a business that could one day exist beyond me? What would that need to look like? Yeah, absolutely. I I just had a call before hopping on this podcast with a law firm client we're doing a valuation for, you know, and then may help on, you know, the continuation kind of exit strategy. You know, he kind of disclosed in that conversation and said, well, what I've kind of built is, you know, it's a mill. And he said it kind of disheartenedly that, you know, they're really driven on intake and process and, you know, everything else. And I said, that's not something that, you know, as long as it's good quality service, like you're proud of the service you're providing the client, the fact that you deal in high numbers and you've you know really systematized that is not something to be ashamed of. I think that's actually a good thing. And it is marketable because you can show that platform that you've built and transfer it over to somebody else. So yeah, those different metrics, depending on what you're looking for, everything else are very important. Yeah. I appreciate that reframing because I do think there's something's happened in And we tend to, as professionals, say, oh, if it's a mill, you know, I'm going to look down upon that. And maybe that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, again, you know, they see a mill as, you know, it's they're dealing in high quantity of numbers from that standpoint, right? You know, high number of cases, but it's the quality of the service. They've invested a lot into those, you know, the intake, the process to deliver the service. So even though they're dealing with high numbers, they're providing what they believe is great service. Yeah. So if someone's in buyer mode, I mean, where do they even start? How does one even start looking for what opportunities might exist in the given marketplace and practice area that they're thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I would, you know, selfishly direct everybody to the lawpracticeexchange.com as a great place to start, but we only have, you know, a certain amount of listings and opportunities. Generally, what I've, you know, kind of talked to other potentials about is I mean, if you start reaching out to bar associations, to the lawyer insurance companies, to lawyer communities like yourself, I mean, chances are, right, everybody knows of attorneys or law firms who may be looking for the next stage strategy, right? The continuation, the retirement, you know, those different things. So I think there's, it's just starting to work your network to some extent. And there are lots out there. You know, we get those, you know, again, referrals from, you know, the state bar associations, the lawyer communities, otherwise, who say, hey, I got a call, so and so is looking for their plan. But that's a great place to look, right? Even the law schools are, again, a great place. The alumni, what we found, do reach back out to career services and say, hey, I'm looking to retire. I'm in, you know, a small town or I'm in this town. Do you have anybody? 
as a you know recent grad or otherwise that you've been keeping tabs on that may be a good fit. So those are the aspects of really just working those network in those different communities and associations. What we found is everybody probably has a handful at least of opportunities and whether they're, they're right for you based on practice area fit, geographic location, just kind of let them know what you're looking for and kind of put your name in the database and then the timing will be right at some point. Yeah, makes sense. Network's important. So we need to take a quick break here from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to dive into some questions I know people probably have around financing and deal structure. It's hard to keep up with trends when you're rushing to court and helping clients, but new cases hinge on topping the results page. You need a marketing partner to keep you informed and your firm growing. That partner is Postali, and you should know about Google local service ads. LSAs connect you with folks searching for nearby legal services. LSAs show up at the top of the page, higher than maps and other listings. And the best part, you only pay if you're contacted through the ad. Appearing when somebody searches for lawyers near me has never been easier or more affordable, letting you focus on the law. LSAs are a great addition to existing PPC efforts or a standalone initiative. Quickly initiated by the Postali team, LSAs and a partnership with Postali can get your firm where it belongs. To learn more about LSAs and Postali services, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, a search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of the Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do, so all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus, so Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. I'm back with Tom. And Tom, we were setting out people who might be looking to either grow their practice or honestly start a practice or, you know, start owning a practice through acquisition process and where they could look for those opportunities. And so now I think, you know, we're kind of moving into, all right, it's time to actually start thinking about purchasing something. And to me, the biggest question that's probably on everyone's mind is, how am I going to pay for this thing? <laughs> because <laughs> whoever sells it to me, I mean, that's the whole point, right? They're going to want some money. And maybe I'm not sitting on a big wad of cash. 
I mean, maybe I am, but most people might not be. So what do you tell those folks? What options are even out there or how should they be thinking about possibilities for structuring this deal on the financial side? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing to kind of reassure everybody is there is you know, financing out there available for law firm purchase acquisition. It's maybe not as mature of a you know, market as those lucky dentists that get 100% you know, financing on their acquisitions or otherwise, but bank financing, traditional or SBA are out there. You know, there's equity financing. There's a lot of different opportunities depending on you know, the nature of the deal otherwise. The first step I would actually encourage anybody interested in buying is to you know, connect with a probably an SBA lender or your traditional bank or anything else to go through a preliminary kind of pre-qualification process. Not to say that you even have to use bank financing for the deal, but everybody likes to have you know, good advisors in their corner. The bank's going to look at, one, what you've built, if you own a firm and run a firm or your personal assets, and they're first going to let you know, like, are you, you know, credit worthy right, to move forward on this? And then if you bring any deal, any opportunity to them, they're going to look at it as well. So to you, that's somewhat a free advisory resource to look at different things and let them, you know, kind of give you an opinion of does this look good or not? So we try to encourage everybody, you know, preliminary financial qualification is good just to kind of let you know what your budget may be, or if a deal requires, you know, outside financing, then you have it, or you may be able to, you know, kind of bring it to the table. Once you get past, you know, kind of that preliminary finance and everything else, you know, the terms out there vary quite a bit depending on the nature of the firm. We've closed some deals that really have almost all outside bank financing. So that means the purchase price is being paid by borrowed money from an SBA lender, you know, or otherwise. And that's just based on the nature of the firm, right? The nature of the firm is, you know, highly transferable, great profit margins, very strong, everything else. And a lot of times those are, you know, openly, it's the personal injury, workers' comp, bankruptcy. They have a lot of inventory as well. Right. So they already have cash in the door and they're looking to, you know, monetize on that plus the future, you know, cash or clients that will come in the door as well. Otherwise, most typically what we see for, I'd say traditional practices otherwise is a blend of some down payment, but really with some variable structure through seller financing, which basically means the attorney or attorneys that are selling will agree to structure it with you and basically be the bank themselves, or it's a performance-based payout, which we would call an earnout. Easiest explanation of an earnout is I agree, Stephanie, to buy you, you know, out of your firm and I'll pay you, you know, 15% of revenues, whatever they are each year for the next five years. So if those revenues after you depart, you know, drop, you know, after your transition time and everything else, then potentially your payout is less, right? But we can set floors and we can modify those different terms, but it's really a, you know, kind of a risk allocation. Typically, those definitely come into place with our, you know, solo small firms that really have the need for the attorney to transition referral sources, transition clients, right? There's a little bit more risk on will this value transfer. That's where earn out and that, you know, seller financing comes into play. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's super helpful because I think 
you know, for some of us, we just don't live in this world every day. And so, you know, it's it's helpful just to even know there's options available. And I'm sure you've seen all kinds of deals get structured all kinds of ways. But I also love the advice to just start with your banker and, and they can give you that free look on the deal. That's actually excellent advice. Well, absolutely. I mean, if they say, you're never going to, be, you can't borrow money right now, right? You've just got too much debt, anything else, then don't go forward and spend a lot of time, months, anything else and talking to a potential that you know they're going to require a certain amount of down payment that you'd have to borrow. So that's a waste of your time. It's a waste of others' time. And so, you know, kind of having a, we'll call it an acquisition budget, you know, that kind of goes through it as well. So, yeah, I think it's a good place to start. Yeah. You know, I'm, I don't know the answer to this question, but I mean, is COVID impacting the marketplace right now in terms of what's happening in these transactions or? Yes. Um, I would say, you know, one, in any deals we had pending, you know, back in April, May of 2020, some of them definitely fell apart. We had some different changeovers, you know, some buyers get concerned, whatever else. Most of them just kind of stretch what we'll call due diligence, right? They had agreed to terms, they were working through kind of full agreement, finalizing purchases, everything else, and those just extended out. But really what we saw, Stephanie, coming out of those initial months is really a buyer movement, we'll call it. You know, some of our sellers as well, even some that contacted us in 2019 said, hey, I'm interested in selling my practice or I really need this continuation plan. Then clients got demanding, they got busy, right? And they didn't get around to kind of taking those first steps. They did come back, right? They made it through COVID. They came back towards the end of 2020 and said, now I'm ready, get me out of here. I don't need to go through, you know, another pandemic. I'm 70 some years old. I've run this firm. I need to find somebody to take on this legacy. But from the buyer side, I think really what changed is the way that lawyers operated changed right? Mm -hmm. And change quickly. So what we saw is a lot of firms and leaders of the firms essentially changed to say, I can run, you know, two geographic offices right now, because I can do a lot of things remotely. Yeah. Or my workforce has all moved remotely. And it's just that the clients became, you know, accepting. And I think a lot of that will continue probably in certain practice areas that the clients became accepting of virtual versus in-person. And so as those different things pivoted, and I think pivoted quickly, we saw that kind of openness now to, oh, I can expand geographically, right? I can run remote you know, teams from different offices. I can help serve clients in these different areas. And I think the other aspect that came with it is, of course, there was a lot of financing incentives through like SBA and otherwise, right, that the government put out. So we saw a lot of, you know, movement of potential buyers still closing out those deals, taking advantage of those incentives and otherwise. And I think really then the final piece was traditional marketing for a lot of lawyers and law firms changed. Yeah. You couldn't go to coffee. You couldn't go to an association conference and you know, shake hands and, you know, kind of do that networking. And so I I do think that bump led more to say, we still want growth. We've considered acquisition in the past. We need to focus more heavily on that. So we definitely saw in COVID kind of a buyer demand, buyer increase. But overall, as the terms change and kind of impacted, I think everybody's looking at making sure firms are out of, 
you know, any transitional elements, right? We've got lots of PPP loans to kind of be, you know, forgiven, go through all that structure. But those firms that have made it through and are strong and whatnot are definitely ones that are desirable as well. Yeah, I think it's super helpful just even for you to come on and tell us what the state of the market is right now in terms of buying and selling law firms. Because I, as we've discussed, I think this is such a newer concept to so many lawyers that they don't even realize this active marketplace exists. So I really appreciate your perspective of saying, no, actually, not only does it exist, it's kind of hot right now. And people should take advantage both on the buyer side or maybe that seller side. If you've been thinking about retirement and you did survive the pandemic, I kind of agree. Like, I might be willing to be like, yeah, you know what? Now is a great time to go live my life and enjoy it. So that that makes total sense. And so it's good to know that there is a, a very active marketplace out there for people who are thinking about this on one side or the other. Absolutely. And I, I do think, you know, one of the big things we're starting to see as well is, you know, the leadership is changing for law firms as well. You know, the generational, the as certain retire. So those business concepts are becoming more open as well and directed by a different generation. So, you know, yes, if you are a owner of a good firm looking at, you know, that exit, we'd love to talk to you because right now we actually have, believe it or not, a shortage of good inventory of firms for that. So, you know, we would love to have more opportunities to present to our buyers. We're more so building that database of buyers right now to say, as soon as we have something, we'll reach out and present it to you. But yeah, it's a good time in still a small young market. Right. So it's not that we're dealing with, you know, thousands or anything else, but it's the opportunity to really grow, you know, show that it's that proven process that, you know, the buyers, the best thing that we're seeing is repeat buyers. And so that shows us that the success there of, you know, helping firms not only grow through one acquisition, but that's proved a success. And now they're coming back to do another transaction, you know, with us and kind of build from there, or our sellers who are referring their peers to us, right? Right. Those are those good feelings of it can work. It's worked for them. It can work for others and kind of go from there. Makes sense. You guys have a ton of information about this whole process on your website. So I definitely would encourage anyone, if you want to know more and want to connect with Tom, remind us of the website URL where they can find you and more information. Sure. It's the T H E law practice exchange.com. So the law practice exchange.com. And of course you can find us on all the social medias as well, but yeah, feel free, happy to be a resource openly. I love talking to attorneys and really just embracing the whole concept of continuation strategies. So a lot of times those are just, Hey, I've got this opportunity. I think I've got all put together. I just wanted to get some insight. Great. The more we can see attorneys make those matches, the more the market will build, the more it will be legacy built and legacy transferred. And, you know, that does, that makes me feel good because this has been a personal growth mission, you know, for almost the last decade to see this kind of model and options built. And so be happy to be a resource to anybody out there who needs it. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much for coming on. It was awesome talking to you. I'm sure we'll find more things to talk about in the future because there's so much here to unpack, but it was great talking to you today. Thank you, Stephanie. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? 
let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.